I was at a regional convention church meeting one time. It happened to be in Twin Falls, Idaho. And I was standing at the back of the sanctuary as people were coming in, and I was standing with uh, our new pastor at Pocatello at the time. And we were standing back there, and we were talking about things. And, and uh, as we were talking, uh, one of my dear friends from our church in Pocatello came in. It's a woman that I worked with at Saga Food when I was in college. She was, uh, she was a cook there, or I was a dishwasher, but uh, she was a really neat lady. And, and she came up to us, and then she gave me a big hug, and she said to our new pastor, he's one of mine, pointing at me. And then pretty soon, the pastor and his wife from Emmett, Idaho, came in from First Baptist Church, my home church. And before I had a chance to introduce them to the new pastor, the pastor's wife gave me a big hug, and she looked at the new pastor and said, I'm one of his moms. And then Murney and Howard Wilson from Emmett came in. And many of you know that woman, or Murney was like a, did I get tearful? Say about second mother to me. And she had been my first grade Sunday school teacher, my high school Sunday school teacher, very close friend. And Murney came over and gave me a big hug and said to him, you know, he's one of my kids. And the pastor looked at me and said, you've got moms all over this state, don't you? <laughs> yeah. And he didn't know the half of it. Our college-age youth group was led by Ma and Pa Rising. We called them Ma and Pa. The spring before I went to college, my mom was at a women's retreat. And Ma Rising had made a, an announcement to all the women. And she asked if anybody had, any of the mothers had kids going to Idaho State University in the fall. And so my mom gave Ma Rising my address and my phone number. And I was getting mail and phone calls from a mom in Pocatello even before I got there. Now, I have to admit that the idea of having another mom waiting for me at college at my age and getting away from home, it didn't sit very well at first, but it didn't take for me very long to realize that we all need a mother's kind of love and protection. And we need that homey place where we can go at any time and have barbecues in the backyard, get out of the dorm, get off of the campus, all those kind of things, and experience that kind of, of love and care. And so I really do thank God for the nurturing, faithful, protective, and sacrificial love that I received from my mom and that I've received from so many moms in the church. Some of them, like Marty Wilson, who had never, didn't have children of her own. And I hope that's, that's the way it is for all the kids growing up in our church and in our churches. That they're going to have many mothers, Sunday school teachers who build in their lives, Awana, Awana leaders, youth group leaders, and women who just take them under their wing and those kind of things and, uh, and love and nurture them. Because a mother's love is one of the strongest and most mysterious forces in the world. And that's why it's one of the clearest pictures of God's love for us. And it's one of the clearest pictures of how we are to love one another in the church of Jesus Christ and how we are to love because Christ loved us and gave up his life for us. Do you know that God loves like a mother? He loves like a mother. He's our heavenly father and he loves you like a father, but he also loves you like a mother. There's something about us being created in the image of God in that he created us male and female that uniquely displays God's glory. You see, motherhood is built right into the very fabric of creation. What was the, the first commandment 
God gave to the newly created newlyweds in the garden. Do you remember that? Turn, turn to the, the Genesis, book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. First chapter of Genesis, we read of the account of the six days of creation. And each day God says over and over, let there be, such as let there be light and there was light. And for six days, God spoke everything into existence. And then God comes to the sixth day, and it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle of all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, here we have the first commandment given to humankind in verse 28. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over all the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, if you'd read ahead of here or before this, you don't realize that God had already given that command to all the other creatures that he created. You go back up to verse 21. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. God had already given the command to the other creatures. So what's the difference between the other creatures and the command given to humankind. It is this. Adam and Eve and all their descendants were going to be fruitful and multiplying creatures who are made in the image of God. So here is our first point in how God loves you as a mother loves you. A mother's love gives new life. A mother's love gives new life. When God made men and women in his image, he gave women a peculiar way to showcase that image. God gave women a special way to display the glory in his creation. Women like God reflect, in a sense, that they have the gift of generative love. Generative love. A woman has the God-given ability to love a man in such a way that God uses that love to turn it into a human being, created in the image of God. You might put it this way. Women are the type of people that other people come out of, right? <laughs> that, you know, sorry, guys, that's just not possible for us, and we probably wouldn't want it. But mothers have a kind of incarnational power that we as men don't have. They incarnate marital love into a human person. In other words, women manifest the glorious love of God through a type of creation that is through, through childbirth. Now, this unique gift of generation that was given to women is precisely what was damaged in the fall. This gift was damaged when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in sin. So now there is what? The women know there's pain in childbearing, much pain. Happy Mother's Day. But that's, <laughs> but that's, the, way, that's the way it is. 
And God told the woman in verse 16 of Genesis chapter 3, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, and pain you will bring forth children. The pain of birth tarnishes the gift of being created in God's image. But the tarnishing makes way for new possibility. It makes way for redemption. After the fall, women can still generate human life, as it were, but they also must embrace their curse. And mothers embrace the pain of their fallen nature. In every birth, a mother gives of herself for the sake of her children, right? I don't know how that would read on a Mother's Day card. But you might want to go home or tell your, call your mother or tell her this afternoon and thank her for going through all of that just so you guys could be born. Did you get that? We got a couple of people. Yeah, they're kind of shaking their heads now, a couple of kids. Mothers embrace the curse that we might be born. And motherhood not only reflects the generating love in God in creation, but it also reflects the regenerating love of Christ on the cross. Mothers embrace the curse so that we might be born, and Christ embraces the curse that we might be what? Reborn. Born again. If it wasn't for mothers, you wouldn't be born to begin with, right? And if it wasn't for Christ, you wouldn't be reborn. Turn over to the third chapter of John's Gospel. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. In the third chapter of John, the Lord Jesus had something to say about this when he talked, had that late night talk with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Verse 1 of John chapter 3. Now there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus is confused by Jesus' answer. So he says in verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again, can he? Now, it's hard to say whether Nicodemus was arguing as a Pharisee did, you know, asking questions, appropriate questions, is one of the ways that they learn. He, he may have been being a little bit sarcastic, but it seems to me that Nicodemus was really trying to understand, and that's why he came to Jesus by night. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Being born of water refers to our physical birth. During pregnancy, the baby is surrounded and cushioned in the mother's womb by a fluid-filled membrane sac known as the amniotic sac. This is a man's point of view, but I, I kind of picture that as the ultimate waterbed surrounding the baby <laughs> and cushioning and protecting. You know, ladies, you may have a different point of view on that. I don't know. But uh, as you know, either before labor or during labor, uh, that sack breaks, and that's known as the mother's water breaking. And so in order for a person to see the kingdom of God, which is another way of saying to have eternal life, a person must be born of water, go through that process of being born into this world. And that is the mother's role 
and generating life out of love for her baby. But a person must also be born a second time, not of water, but of what? The Spirit of God. Verse 6, Jesus continued, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. There's our physical birth. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed, I said to you, you must be born again. The phrase born again literally means to be born from above. To be born from above. Nicodemus had a real need. He needed a change of his heart. He needed a complete spiritual transformation. New birth being born again is an act of the Spirit of God whereby eternal life and all kinds of other things, and we won't talk about those days, there are so many things that happen to you the moment you receive Jesus Christ. You receive the Holy Spirit at that point to indwell you, and we could go on and on and go clear back through our book of Romans all over again to talk about those, but... But the the Spirit comes and life, eternal life, is imparted to the person who believes. And that person is born again. Now the cool thing is that here in John's Gospel in chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 indicates that being born again also carries the idea of becoming children of God. Children of God through trust in the name of Jesus. So you are a child of your parents, your earthly mothers and fathers, by birth, physical birth, but by being born again, we become children of God. And speaking of Jesus Christ, John writes in verse 12 of John chapter 1, But as many as received him, received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, there's the fleshly being born first time, nor of the will of man, but of God. There's a big misconception in our world that everyone is a child of God, that we're all God's children. And you hear that all the time. Well, we're all God's children. We are all offspring of God in the sense that we are created created by God, But only those who have received Jesus Christ as Savior are God's children. To see this more, turn over to Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 8, the verse, 14th verse. The 14th verse of the the 8th chapter of Romans. And, And here we find one of the most beautiful, one of the richest passages of Scripture that, that talks about our relationship with God. Verse 14 of Romans chapter 8. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba, it carries all the love and affection of the word Daddy, but also carries the respect of the word, word Father. Abba, Father. All that a a child's love can express to their parent. And the key word here is adoption, which means to be what it means to be a member of God's family. We're adopted into God's family. And verse 14 says we are sons of God. And, of course, that includes the daughters of God as well. And verse 16 says we are children of God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And all that is true because we have been adopted into God's family. And the word adoption, translated adoption, or the concept of adoption is a rich word. It's a word that's filled with love. 
It's filled with, with grace and mercy. And in its basic sense, adoption is a legal action whereby a person is taken into a family, usually into a family that's not in any way related to the child. And when taken into that family, he or she is then given all the rights and the privileges of a member of that family. When we are adopted into God's family, there's a complete and absolute severance with our old life, who we were before we came to Christ. And the new father exercises authority over the son, and the new son enters into all the privileges and responsibilities of the natural son. And in Roman society, adults were often adopted. A man did not have an heir or a son who was capable of being his heir, and he would adopt an adult and bestow upon him everything that it meant to be a legitimate son. You see, when the Holy Spirit enables us to believe in Jesus Christ and to understand what our new standing is before God, all the privileges of being a child of God apply to us. And that results in a great change in us. We have a new legal standing before God. We're children of the king. We have access to the king. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're back to all those things again. We have a new legal status before God and all that that means. We also have a new relationship with God the Father. And so that's one of the ways that, that a mother reflects the love of God to us in giving us life. Now, another reason a mother's love is one of the strongest and most mysterious forces in the world and why it's one of the clearest pictures of God's love for us is that a mother's love is nurturing. A mother's love is nurturing. Motherhood reflects the nurturing nature of God. God promised his children through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 66, verse 13, as one who comforts his mother, so I will comfort you. As one who comforts his mother, or as one whom his mother comforts, did I turn that around? As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. When a woman bears a child, as you know, she nurses him, she cares for him as his source of life outside the womb. I've had the wonderful experience of watching Call the Midwives with Jan on occasion. <laughs> And Jan often says at that point, you know, where the baby's coming, you know, you don't have to stay in here if you don't want to. You know, <laughs> but as soon as the baby is born, we see that a mother's love is nurturing. And this nurturing causes a baby to grow and causes the baby to develop in a way that it could not on its own, obviously. And is exhibited in nearly everything a mother does to help her little child, feeding him, rocking him, changing him taking care of him, smiling at him. I like that smiling at him because I came across a quote by a Swiss theologian by the name of Hans Urs von Balthasar. And he wrote, After a mother has smiled at her child for many days and weeks, she finally receives the child's smile in response. She has awakened love in the heart of her child. Isn't that great? Through her smile, she has awakened love in the heart of our child. And when a mother smiles at her baby, and she gives us a glimpse of an even bigger truth here, that God has loved us from the very beginning, especially through his son, Jesus Christ, and that God's love awakens us to the potential of love. And that's why the Apostle John wrote, we love God first. Why? Because 
He loved, first loved us. Yeah. When a person is born from above, God does not leave that Christian to themselves, but he cares for them and nurtures them as a mother. And he does this through his church. Through his church. God cares for us and nurtures us as his children through his church. The instrument of God's love, his care, his nurture, his protection, is other believers who minister to us. And that's what we saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, that we read to begin with this morning. Second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, the seventh verse. And Paul here, as I mentioned, was talking about the time that he spent ministering among those new believers at Thessalonica. In verse 7 of this first chapter, of the second chapter says, But we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, to give our lives to you, literally, because you had become very dear to us. Every newborn babe in Christ, every new Christian, desperately needs the nurturing, caring love that comes from the church, that comes from other believers, if they are to mature and grow and be spiritually healthy. And this nurturing care comes from the fond affection. And how fond is this affection to be? Paul says, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. You know, I don't think, I know we don't, normally think of the disciple-making process, the maturing process in the church, how we help new believers grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't normally think of it being expressed in these terms. And, and this is about as tender as it gets. This is the most intimate, sweet, compassionate, affectionate relationship in all humanity as a nursing mother. Literally means one who nurses at the breast. Is there anything more delicate than that? Is there anything more beautiful than that? Is there anything more affectionate than that? A mother with her own children. As I thought about this, the church is not a daycare center. The church is not a daycare center. We're not running a daycare center for spiritual babes in Christ where we come and keep them occupied. They come and stay occupied and we're babysitting and we're taking care of their basic needs and make sure they don't get hurt and all those kind of things. But the church is not a daycare center. The image of a nursing mother is of the nursing mother and the personal care that she gives to her little one. Paul couldn't have come up with any more tender, any more intimate analogy. There isn't one. This is a love that spares nothing. This is a love that spends itself for the child. And following the example of the Apostle Paul, our love and care for one another is to be a love that spares nothing. That spares nothing. It spends itself for one another. We are to put the needs of others above the needs of ourselves. We saw that in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. You don't need to turn to it, but we are to what? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We are to give preference to one another in honor. We are always to put others first. The needs of others first. The protection of others first. 
And then God's love for us is also seen in motherhood in that a mother's love is faithful. It is faithful and protective. But we're going to begin with faithful. So turn over to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 2, verse 3. And here we learn, we're just going to look at one verse here, but we learn in the second chapter of Exodus, we learn how the mother of Moses took extraordinary risk to protect her infant son. As you know, Pharaoh had ordered that all the boy babies be killed immediately when they they are born, and the Hebrew midwives, they weren't doing that, but that didn't put them out of risk. The babies didn't keep them from being still at risk at, uh, at being killed. And, and here was the mother of Moses that no matter what she did, the little boy had very little chance of survival. She tried to hide her baby boy from the swords of Pharaoh as long as she could, but then it says in, in verse 3 of Exodus chapter 2, when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it with tar and pitch, Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Can you even imagine the courage and the faith she must have had to carry out such an act? Here the Old Testament account illustrates how mother's faith and, and actions can be the most powerful and most redeeming influence upon a child's life. Sure, we as fathers have an impact as well, and I've preached a plethora of sermons on the responsibilities of fathers, but not enough can be said about the role of a godly mother, a godly woman of faith. And the Apostle Paul shared this perspective in 1 Timothy 2.15 when he said, But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity, and self-restraint. The idea of a woman being preserved here, this is not saying that the woman will survive childbirth if she has enough faith, but it's referring to the role of women in God's creative and redemptive plan. When women continue in faith and love and sanctity and self-restraint, Motherhood and all that that means, godly womanhood and all that that means, will be preserved. In other words, faithful mothers who have a redemptive influence upon their own children, the way Moses' mother saved him, as it were, also have a redemptive influence upon the culture and the world. Isn't that kind of amazing that it it begins with motherhood who build into her own children and those children will build into others all that it means to be a person of faith. As a result of the courageous faith of one mother, her son Moses was able to bring redemption to his own family and to an entire nation. To an entire nation. It all began with his, his mom in a wicker basket and some tar and some pitch. A mother's faith and influence are part of the miraculous, redemptive processes used by God. Though sin entered the world through a woman, it can be overcome through the faith of a mother. Although Jesus Christ is our ultimate salvation and preservation, a mother's faith and influence upon her children may be the instrument God used to bring deliverance to others. 
So God's love for us is also seen in motherhood. A mother's love is protective. It's protective. We saw that in Moses' mother. She did whatever it took to keep her baby safe. In fact, she risked it all at that point. A mother's love is protective. With her infant, a mother is always on alert. She's always waking up at the slightest sounds, caring during times of sickness against potential harm. As the infant grows into childhood and later adolescence, she remains alert and continues to be protective. I think some mothers wonder, am I being protective enough? Am I overprotective? I'm not sure a mother can be overprotective. And the reason I say that is because of Hosea chapter 13, verse 8. In fact, God is described in Hosea 13, 8 as a mother bear. As a bear robbed of her cubs, he says, I will attack and devour them. (laughs) That's how protective God is of his children. And when a mother protects her children, she provides a glimpse of God's promise to protect his children. Think especially of the way a mother protects a small child who who might hurt himself, touching a burner, falling down the stairs, stepping out into the road, you know those things. I remember one of the ways that my mom protected me. It's when I was in high school, and I was in a car cruising on Washington Avenue. We had cruise night every weekend, and now cruise night's a big deal once a year in Emmett. All these really neat old cars and uh, restored cars come to Emmett. You know, it's, it's still cruise night, Roanne, you know, on, on Washington Avenue. And we were cruising in a car on Washington Avenue one night with my friends, and there was four of us in the car, and I was sitting in the, the back seat. And we got to the bowling alley down at the south end, uh, instead of turning around at the bowling alley and coming back out and going down Washington again and sometimes making a right and going down the city park and coming back around, you know, you know, just do that all evening long, see who's in town, you know, all that kind of stuff, who's going on. And, but when we got to the bowling alley, instead of turning around and, and acting cool as we went the other direction and turning the radio up so, you know, people could hear what we're listening to, my friend pulled behind the bowling alley He pulled up next to another car that was parked there. Both drivers got out, opened the trunk of their cars, and they put a case of beer in the car that I was in. Now, if you don't think that's a big deal, selling beer to minors at the time was a $1,000 fine and a year in prison. You know, and so all of a sudden it's it's in our car. And when the driver got back in, he asked us where we wanted to go to drink the beer. And I said, well, if I'm going to have to stay out later, I have to ask my mom. You know, I was looking for any kind of excuse. Out. You know, I really didn't want to rat the guys out. I mean, this was, this was serious stuff. I knew everybody in town was doing it, but you know how it is. And they called me a mama's boy saying I've got to ask permission of my mom. And they gave me a real hard time. And, but I insisted that I'd be in really big trouble if I didn't check in at home. So we pulled up to our house, which was right on Washington Avenue, just a few blocks down, as we were talking in the car, and there's the house right there. Good time to pull over. And, and, you know, so we were arguing in the car about this, you know, oh, no, you don't need to ask her permission. You're not going to stay out too late and all those kind of things. And and, and finally I said, well, well, why don't you guys come in with me and and help me convince my mom that everything's okay? And I, I'm sure they thought that I was, at that point, I was going to squeal and everybody would be in trouble. And 
boy, I'd get around the school and the town real quick. You, know, you don't want to hang out with Bill Slaybaugh. Look what he did. You know, but, but anyway, I finally talked them into coming into the house with me. What they didn't know was that my mom and I had a secret signal. If I was ever being pressured by my friends to do something like that or, or something that I was uncomfortable doing, I would give her the signal when we came into the house, and she would be the bad guy. She would be the bad guy. And so I would ask her and beg with her and plead with her, and my friends would get in on it because, uh, you know, she was a beloved teacher in town, and most of them had brothers and sisters that she taught, or she substituted teacher in our classes. And my friends pleaded with my mom. They, they loved my mom, you know, but in these cases, she was stern and unbending and would not let me stay out later, no matter how much I begged her. And as we were leaving, I was walking outside with them as they were getting ready to leave. They were saying how mean and mom, how mean and strict my mom was. You know, my mom was willing to take the heat, whatever it was to protect me, as I waved goodbye to the guys and hope they didn't get busted that night. <laughs> but you see, a mother's love is sacrificial. More than anything else, a mother's love is sacrificial. A mother stretches herself literally and metaphorically from the time of conception until the twilight of her own life. A mother never stops being a mother. And in this way, a mother's love teaches us the deepest and most profound truth about God. That God loved us enough to come to this earth, take on a human body, and sacrifice himself on the cross for us. You remember that Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment, they are, that they were to love one another as he had loved them. We are to love one another as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. As believers, we are to love others sacrificially. And my love for someone else cannot be sacrificial unless I give up something, right? Something that is dear to me. What am I willing to give up out of sacrificial love for someone else? What will I do that might make me uncomfortable and might even cause some pain out of sacrificial love for someone else? The Bible teaches us that God's love for us, his children, it's sympathetic, it's caring, but it's also sacrificial. You see, God does not want us to suffer the penalty of our own sin. And for that reason, he took on that human body, came to earth as Jesus, and when he did that, he traded places with us. He lived the sinful, sinless life that we should have lived. He, did, he, he died the death that we deserve to die. He took our guilty record, died for it, and offers us his perfect record in return. That is why the Apostle Paul declared that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We love our mothers. We honor our mothers. We love them for the good that we have seen in them, from the things that we have received from their hands. We love them for the ways they have nurtured us, been faithful to us, protected us, and sacrificed for us. And we thank them. We thank our mothers, even though that they might be unaware of it, that they have provided us with a real picture of God's love for us. Thank you, moms. Shall we pray?
Our Heavenly Father, we do think of our mothers today, and uh, we thank of those that are, are still living with us. We thank of those who have who've passed on before, Lord. But for our mothers, we give you thanks. Father, we, we thank you for the ways that they, they sacrificed. We thank you for the ways that they loved us, even though, like all of us, they were imperfect souls. Father, they were just sinners saved by the grace of God, Lord. But I thank you that you gave to, to mothers and to women in particular that ability to nurture and love and care and give us that which we need so much, Father. And Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, also, who, who died on the cross out of your love for us that we might live eternally as children of the living God and all that that means. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.